Mic check. All right. I was looking for my brother Stephen Knowles. Are you in here? Ah, he knew that I was going to call him out. Well, I just say that since last Wednesday, um, something has been heavy on my mind. And Stephen may hear this podcast. Stephen knows. Awesome brother. He um, pulled me to the side last Wednesday and said, hey, Kwame. Do you know or did you realize that out of the six guys who will be preaching at Midweek Fellowship, that you'll be the, uh, the oldest out of all the six? <laughs> Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you been a part of a group where you're the oldest? I said, I'm, I'm the oldest? He said, yeah. I said, okay, I, how old is the second to the oldest? He said, 23. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm 33. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Thanks. So... Left that night, I told Jazz about it. She was like, oh, they're going to have to stop getting on you, baby. I said, yeah, you're right. And so today, today, I contacted Stephen. I said, Stephen, how old were you when you became a believer? He said, eight. Yes. I said, okay, 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 eight. He said, what about you? I said, well, I became a believer when I was 25. So I did the math. Stephen is 23. He's been a believer since he was eight. So in born again years, <laughs> Stephen is 15 and I'm eight. So I'm not the oldest. I'm not the oldest. Praise God. We got that out the way. A weight lifted off of my shoulders and my heart. Tonight, tonight, we'll be looking at a text from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Give you a second to turn there. This book is written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus in Ephesus. Um, Paul wrote this while he was in prison. A lot of stuff that was going on in Ephesus during this time. And actually, our, our small group, we're going through the book of Ephesians right now. We're still in chapter 1. But in looking at chapter 6, how Paul starts off finally, and thinking about the prayer request that we had tonight so far, and just hearing about the enemy the enemy doing this, and the enemy can do that, and, and this is very true. So tonight, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And usually, when you think about Ephesians chapter 6, you think about the armor of God, putting on the full armor of God. But tonight, we're going to talk about that briefly, but not full in full detail just yet. Uh, hopefully, maybe next time I get a chance to share with the body of Christ, I'll break down the the armor in more detail. Before our time tonight, I'm going to talk about the enemy. Some, and I'm going to talk about who we are in Christ. That the enemy that we face is a defeated enemy. Um, this enemy or enemies, they have been disarmed. They, although in some ways powerful, those in Christ, they cannot destroy so I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, then pray, and then we're going to 
chop it up some, as I like to say. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, then he says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all, say all, all of the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The word of God for the people of God. American actor Denzel Washington has this quote where he says that if you have an enemy, then learn and know your enemy. Don't just be mad at him or her. He says, again, if you have an enemy, then learn and know your enemy. Don't just be mad at him or her. Now, Denzel Washington, great actor, but he's no theologian. But he has a point here. If we have an enemy, we need to know the schemes and ways of our enemy. Not just say the enemy's bad or watch out for the enemy. We need to know what we're up against. Now, the enemy that Denzel is speaking about is an earthly enemy. Um, he's speaking of an enemy that he probably can see or assume others can see. But the enemy that we are talking about or we just read about in the text is, as our sister said earlier in her prayer, is an enemy of the spiritual realm. This enemy we cannot see, we cannot touch. This enemy we cannot put a GPS monitor or whatnot under their vehicle and know when they're coming or when they're going. But what we do know from the scriptures is we have an enemy, a real and vicious enemy. Now, before we get to that enemy, something we need to understand as the people of God is whether you are African, African-American, European, 
Asian, Hispanic, we all have an immediate enemy, an intimate enemy that is our flesh. This enemy, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, has nothing, not even an ounce of good. This enemy, the flesh that we have 24-7, is aroused by the law of God to disobey the law of God. If we examine ourselves closely, brothers and sisters, we will know that that's true. This enemy that we have is passionate, eager to see God's law and go the other way into lawlessness. We can't tell the enemy, this enemy, the flesh, to take a break. Come back on Tuesday. This enemy stays around and it wants to do what it wants to do. The flesh never sleeps, and it never bends the rules against our destruction. The flesh is and will always be hostile towards the things of God and God himself. For the unbeliever, which we all were, is enslaved to their flesh. The unbeliever, as we once were, loves the fruits or works of the flesh. I can remember a good friend of mine who I used to do music with. He and I were close. We did many songs together. Well, when the Lord saved me eight years ago, my friend remained in his sin. For I did not distance myself from my friend, but I continued to hang with him, and he wanted so bad to be saved. So he said that he wanted to be saved. He wanted liberation from his enslavement. I will walk with him for two years. And one day in the vehicle, we were having a conversation and I tried to share the gospel with him. And he told me to my face, I'm done trying. I love my sin. I'm done faking. I love my sin. I will not struggle anymore. I love my sin. And that before Christ was all of us. This enemy could care less how we feel about it. But even as believers, we have that enemy. And we are called and told the way to defeat this enemy is by keeping in step with the spirit that has been given to us. The flesh and the spirit war daily. We've been given the spirit of Christ to crucify the flesh. And as we reminded in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says that the works of the flesh are sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, and carousing, and things like this. 
for we have a great enemy inside of us. Not only that, that enemy is an ally to the enemy in the spiritual realm. They don't fight against each other. They tag team each other. This enemy that's in the spiritual realm has control over this fallen world that we're in. And our flesh is enticed by this fallen world and the sway of the enemy. For this enemy that I'm speaking of now is the devil. He is the accuser, as our sister said, the tempter. He has always been a liar, the deceiver, the one who appears as an angel of light, the great dragon in Revelations, the schemer or the stalker. His evil schemes have been around since the beginning of time, and his creed is to the world. Did God really mean that? For he has been a murderer since the beginning. He's considered crafty. He does not bend or cut off the flow of his deception to destroy those who are under his sway. The devil and his demons are consistently at work to do whatever it takes to keep and continue to keep an unregenerate people in the unregenerate world under his sway. For Ephesians chapter 2 says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. These demonic forces are everywhere. They're not just here on earth. They're above the sky, in and outside the cosmos, in the heavenly regions. Something I also looked at in Ephesians that the enemy is also aware of the reality of the church. It says in Ephesians chapter 3 that the manifold wisdom of God has and is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the enemy is aware of our celebration and being in God in Christ. The enemy is aware. That these people, these enemies, these beings know those who are in Christ. We must also remember that we're fighting enemy, as I said, or enemies who have been put into open shame. Not only that, but according to Colossians 2.15, they have been disarmed. They can tempt and harm us in some ways, but they cannot destroy us. They can tempt and harm us in some ways, but they cannot destroy us. What destroys us is our sin and unbelief. But being that Christ Jesus has paid for our sins truly and fully, we are set for the rest of our lives. Meaning that we may still have trials and tribulations, but when we die and stand before a holy God, he will see the righteousness of his son. And speaking of the righteousness of his son and standing before God, I just would like to share some good news with you. Before you and I were born and our grandparents and their parents and their parents and their parents, on and on and on, God created the world. 
He created everything good. Everything good. He created man and woman in his image. Man and woman were given a commandment to obey God. We all know to not eat of the fruit of the tree. But this commandment was not just to say don't eat fruit. It was to say remain in fellowship with me. But if you do this, you will die spiritually. We know the rest of the story because we need the gospel. So that shows that our parents before did not obey that command. They fell and fell horribly. And God kicked them out of the garden after Ephesians chapter 3 or any, uh, Genesis chapter 3. Man was deemed lost. Let's fast forward to 2017. That is still the case today. But God in his love for us sent his son, who is human like us, yet God in every way. Jesus Christ never, ever sinned. He lived a perfect and righteous life. He always pleased the Father. The Father said, my son always pleases me. Jesus, at the end of his life, laid down his life in a sacrificial way for our sins. The perfect one who did not deserve death died for all who deserved death and more. And he actually died. His heart stopped. The righteous one of God spilled his blood for you and I. And three days later, he rose from the grave, vindicating that his sacrifice is official, and all who will put their trust and faith in him will receive his righteousness. And he ascended back to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, and he sent his spirit to seal all those who would believe. And all who do believe are made alive, hidden with Christ in the heavenly places, where the war continues, where the enemy still lurks. But guess what? We're not in this fight alone. Because you know why? As the text that we just read before Paul introduces the armor to put on and the enemy that's at hand, Paul says, finally. Before we get to the rest, let's look what he says before that finally for you and I, about you and I, and about God. Paul says before finally, he says, grace and peace comes to us from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that we are chosen before the foundation of the world. I pray that this sticks to us as I read these. That in love we are and were adopted through Jesus. That we are chosen to live to the praise of God's glorious grace. That we are forgiven of our trespasses and according to the riches of God's grace. That God has welcomed us into the mystery through and in the gospel that we have an inheritance, that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead 
lives in us. I know sometimes we feel weak, we doubt, we see God as small, but God does not see his promises and his love to us in Christ as small. Even when we feel small, God is still for us because of his son. It says that God's immeasurable greatness of his power works and is working through us. Before Paul says finally, he says that we are saved and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right now, although we're here on this earth, every believer across the globe is seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is amazing. Our enemy likes to come to us in this war if we're not armed correctly and know how to use our sword correctly. Our enemy comes to us if our shield is down to say that no, your place is not in heaven. You are here on earth to fight me. But God says otherwise to this liar, to this deceiver. God says through Paul before there's a finally, he says that we were created in Christ for good works that God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. That we have access in one spirit to the Father. Oh, this enemy loves to tell us otherwise. This enemy loves to trick us as if we're talking to ourselves or the ceiling is low when we're praying to our Father. But by one spirit, we have access to the Father. Before Paul says finally, he says that we are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says that in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. He says this right here also that we are filled with the fullness of God. And we are the light of the world. Our view of our salvation, a lot of times to our own fault, is small. But God is so gracious because God says this next. Be strong in the Lord and in the power and the strength of his might. This power that Paul is speaking about is a resurrected power, is a resurrected life. When we draw our strength from God, it is from the power and because of the power of the gospel. It's not just a declaration of be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. No, it's because of the gospel for us that we can truly be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Ephesians chapter 1, we can throw that up on the screen. Paul says this in verse 18 through 20. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glory, glorious inheritance in the saints, you, it's us. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Let's believe in the gospel. According to the workers of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him where we are also seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. So 
So this being strong in the Lord before we hit the battlefield, before we get dressed in our armor, is a resurrected life. It's a resurrected power that God works towards us in a major way once we believe the gospel and continue to believe the gospel. Paul also writes in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. You can throw that up for me. He says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So this true strength is truly a resurrected strength. And I want to give four points about wrestling by faith. And uh, be out your way. Four points. First, know that this is a, li- a life that is a resurrected life, as I said earlier. When we wrestle against this, against this enemy, we cannot and we will not, by God's grace, wrestle with him outside of the gospel. It's because of the gospel that we are able to wrestle against this enemy and these enemies. And it's by pulling from the strength of God, the power, which is the gospel, to live this resurrected life before putting on our armor. Also, continue to stand, which means to abide or affirm or continue in this power, the gospel. Paul says, stand firm before he mentions putting on the full armor. And also, put on the full armor of God. I know that sounds kind of elementary given the topic, but a lot of times if we're honest with ourselves, we don't put on the full armor. We may have our helmet of salvation on. We got salvation, all right. But how many of you would laugh or be concerned if a football player at a game Saturday night came out ready to hike the ball, everyone else is fully dressed and he only has a helmet on. Get that guy off the field quickly. For us, this battlefield is more severe than the football field. Not just the helmet, not just the belt, not just the breastplate, not just the shoes, not just the shield, not just the sword, but the full armor of God. We must pursue one another in this. Ask your brothers and sisters. Ask me, ask, hey, how's your armor? Ask a few brothers that last couple of weeks. They was like, ooh, it's a great question. Because it calls us to remember we're supposed to be wearing our armor. This shield of faith that Paul says to hold up in every circumstance, every situation means that the battlefield is always live. That shield is called to extinguish the fiery darts of the devil. If it's meant to be put up in every circumstance, that means fiery darts are being shot at us every day. And we need to keep our shield up. Do not give provision for the devil, meaning that when that happens, our shield is down. And one of the things in Ephesians, he says that, hey, forgive one another. Don't let the sun go down in your anger because in, in that you give provision for the devil. So this armor, this war is a communal reality. This love that we're called to live out in this warfare. Lastly, 
Use the sword. Use the sword well. Feast on the word of God. Apply the word of God. Pray the word of God for one another. For this is the sword that strikes and will strike our enemies. We must use this sword and use it well. There's much to say, much I want to say. But if I can end it before giving up, putting a quote up from uh, one of my favorite preachers. He was one of my favorite preachers before Brad, before I met Brad. He was one of them. So if I can say this, ask ourselves, are we truly using our equipment that we've been equipped with? Are we asking one another how are we doing with putting on our armor? Because sometimes we leave here on Sundays, we feel like Captain America. Come Wednesday or uh, Wonder Woman, and come Wednesday or Tuesday, we feel like Skeletor. We're hurting. We need one another to check on one another to say, brother, sister, how's your armor? Because the war is on. The war is on. And I'll end with this quote right here from Charles Spurgeon. (laughs) He says this about the sword. You are to grasp your weapon and go forth to fight. Neither may you so much as dream of winning the battle by accident. No man was ever holy by happy chance. Infinite damage may be done by carelessness, but no man ever won life's battle by it. To let things go on as they please is to let them bear us down to hell. We have no orders to be quiet and take matters easily. No, we are to pray always and watch constantly Crosspoint, brothers and sisters, we are to pray always and watch constantly. The one note that rings out from the text is this. Take the sword. Take the sword. No longer is it talk and debate. This is before Facebook. (laughs) No longer is it parley and compromise. The word of thunder is take the sword. The captain's voice is clear as a trumpet. Take the sword. No Christian man or woman here will have been obedient to our text unless with clear, sharp, and decisive firmness, courage, and resolve, he takes the sword. We must must go to heaven sword in hand all the way. Take the sword. On this command, I would enlarge. May the Holy Spirit help us. I'm pray. Father God, thank you for the fact that you placed us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Um, and in that, you actually saved us in Christ. He actually came and lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death and rose a justifying resurrection for us and ascended, sending the Spirit as assurance 
and by the believing of the gospel, you have sealed us by the Holy Spirit. And in that, Lord, you have given us everything we need to make sure that we make it home. You have given us your word. You have given us one another. And you know, you knew, Lord, that there would still be a battle. Even, even though we may be in the most comfortable spot in our lives or a church with AC, Lord, we know that the enemy is the prince of the power of the air, meaning that he and his dominions, his dominions, they are everywhere. But Lord, you, even in that, gave us everything we needed to make sure that he would not steal our faith. You've given us armor. You've given us a sword. And Lord, I pray that your people everywhere will be able to ask one another, encourage one another to keep on our armor. Just ask the question, how's your armor? Sometimes we get weary. We want to put our shield down. It's heavy. We put our shield to the side. It may be awkward, but you call us to keep our shield up in every situation. I pray that you will grow us, Lord, in our hearts by your spirit to continue to be stirred by your word, by your gospel. I pray that you will bless us, Lord. As we go out tonight, let us remember that the battlefield is live. I pray that your will be done in our lives as we dismiss. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. I told Kwame I wasn't going to do this because Kwame doesn't need any post-introduction. But, man, that was so encouraging. I just I had to say it. So I, I, there it is. Um, don't leave without saying the same to our brother, all right? Uh, just tell him something that, that's maybe stood out to you. Encourage him. Um, I was really blessed by that. Thanks, man. All right, y'all. Um, we are done for the night, so y'all head on. But like I said, Kwame's still up here. So if any of you go that way before you come this way, I'm taking notes, and I can text Brad, and it'll all go south real quick. All right, y'all have a good night.